Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey guys, what's up? I'm Ben. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. but you got it yeah I, I i brain farted my bad yeah what's up guys how's it going welcome welcome to wicked and grim thanks for tuning in yeah we got one hell of a case today i thought it was very suiting for halloween coming up so i just found out what it was what it is five minutes ago so yeah. i'm pumped well I, i've <laughs> i put off researching really far this time again um i got home from work and i've been just researching like crazy yeah. And now we this have... Might be, this might be the latest. I think so, because we have less than two hours before it has to go live, and we're recording right now. So. You broke your own record. <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> um, but what else? We, we got lots to drop. We got Patreon... Pa- patrons. 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 We got we to gotta thank you. I got to bring up my list. Um, because if you guys didn't know, I'm sure you already do, because we've said it a couple times before, that we didn't say on social media yet, so we still got to do that. We need to do a post. Um, we have a total of 23 patrons now over Eek. on patreon that's so cool we're gonna get the down low and all the behind the scenes stuff drunk wicked and grim which is coming up next which, week yeah we're recording it this weekend um and that's only available to patrons so if you want to catch that which i think we should do a video for it we should do an actual like video. oh shit no i think so no maybe next time i think it's just going to be voice no let's ease into this we're doing they video. don't need to look at us yeah they do they want to see how ridiculous this is going to get. It's going to get ridiculous. Your eyebrows get really high, right? When you're drunk. The more I low. drink, the higher my eyebrows raise up. So yeah, pay attention to Ben's eyebrows. <laughs> if if I look like I'm, my eyebrows are trying to hold my eyelids open, and then I'm drunk. Okay. So to thank the patrons, and I'm going to go ahead and say this right now. We're terrible with names. So we're probably going to pronounce your names wrong, but we're going to try. And when I say we, are you going to read? Because I just have the list in my hand. No, you're, you fly at her. Okay, A I'm going to try. We're I'm going to try. Okay, so we have Megan Moynihan. Mo- Moy- Moynihan. There we go. Megan Moynihan. First, okay. first one I already fucked up. Yay, Megan. Haley Everhart. JC Harrison. Megan Rosick. Megan Moore. Jennifer Prusky. Kimberly. Kylie Bergen. Elizabeth LeBlanc. Jade Vanette. Sean Ver- Vrana, Vrana, I think. Amanda Sayer, Katie Whitaker, Larissa Emmons, who like shout out, we've known her for a while. Met her down in Mexico, like ten or Jamaica, like ten years ago. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bronson Ramos, who also awesome, lives in Vancouver. If you need a tattoo artist, I've gone to him a few times. Cool guy. Yeah, he's um, very cool. Also, if you ask him to, he will do the truffle shuffle on the spot. Did you know that? 
I actually didn't know that. He will, yeah. And Cassandra Fury. Sweet. I hope I pronounced your guys' names right. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for all your support. You guys are incredible. Yeah, actually it blows me away. Yeah, we're kind of like blown away, like ridiculously blown away. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You guys are going to get some access to some cool stuff. You've already got some cool stuff. And of course, Drunk, Wicked, and Grim. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's like the sell- the selling point one, <laughs> Pretty right? much. Well, honestly, just getting an extra episode a month is pretty sweet. Extra episode. Um, when we start ads, they'll be ad-free. Mm-hmm. And our little uh, pre-recording to each episode when we're testing our mics and stuff, we get a little bit of banter going that we post that there too. So Yeah, and sometimes it's weird shit. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do my joke. Okay, do your joke. I wasn't going to do a joke like every time, but someone actually submitted a joke. So I'm like, I'm going to freaking do a joke again. Uh, so this is Katie from... She's from What the Psychology. Are you ready? Which is another podcast. It's another podcast. It's another podcast. I think we've actually put it, we've shuttered it out on our stories or something before, but she's awesome. And the joke that she submitted, she's, it goes, you you probably know the answer I know, because I you know read it already. the email. I read it. But so just don't say it. We're going to give them a minute after I read okay, it. Okay. Okay. Why did the skeleton go to the movies alone? Oh, I don't know. Do tell. Hmm, why? Why would they have gone to the movies alone? Because he had no body to go with. Oh. To do. Wow. What do you call a man with no body and no nose? No body, no nose. Nobody knows. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, thanks, Katie. That's cool. That was awesome. I like it. Do we have any other bombs we get to drop? Of course, Halloween's coming up. Halloween week. Tell us what's what's happening, the down low. Because we've, we've dropped it a little bit before. But anyway, it starts next Monday. On the 25th. That would be this. I don't know. This is coming out on Tuesday. It starts on the following Monday. So the 25th. And it's literally seven days of us putting some cool shit out. Yep. Seven days. Seven straight days. So of Monday, episodes. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. All epic Halloween stuff. Mm-hmm. So... And they might not be like full episodes, but some might just be minis, just like fun little things to help yep. celebrate Halloween. We're not too concerned with the length on those episodes. It's just going to be what it is. And hopefully you guys enjoy it. Yeah. So, Very cool. I've got some cool ones. I'm starting out with Robert the Doll. I've dropped that. Said it was going to be happening oh. on Halloween. So that's one of my favorite paranormal cases like ever. So Does someone in here is obsessed with Halloween. Um, yeah. I wonder who it is. This guy right here. <laughs> Yeah, you're just a tiny bit obsessed. A little bit. Okay, so are you ready for this case? I am 100% ready. I don't think you are. This is this is cray-cray. Really? It's fucking cray-cray, yo. Yeah? Yeah. Am I going to like it or dislike it? Um. Well, you'll dislike it. <laughs> I don't know if anyone should technically like this. You know what I mean? But like, you may enjoy the story. It's a good story. But. I like a good story. This dude is fucking twisted. He did a lot of shit. Okay. And he is known as the Candyman. The Candyman. The Candyman. Isn't that an Aqua song? What? Is, is it? Is the Candyman an Aqua song? I don't know. Maybe. I could be getting that wrong. Anyway, carry on. Sorry. I don't know. All I can think of is Cartoon Heroes and Dr. Jones. It was the only... And Barbie Girl. Maybe hmm. it is. Maybe it's a song. Anyways, while you're looking it up, I'm going to start here. <laughs> Okay, so Fort Wayne, Indiana born on Christmas Eve of 1939, by the way, he was the first child of Arnold Edwin Coral and Mary Robinson. Dean Coral grew up and became the Candyman. It's called Lollipop. Lollipop. Okay, there you go. Yeah. 
Okay, so the home that Dean kind of grew up in wasn't the uh, most ideal household. Okay. It was kind of a combative home. His parents quarreled constantly. Um, they were actually divorced while Coral was still an infant. Um, sorry, I had his last name there. Well, Dean Coral was still an infant. Okay. Um, uh, and then they remarried after World War T. World War T. Wow, I am fucking up royally today. <laughs> World War II. Um, but Dean's father provided no stabilizing influence um, regarding his children with like thinly veiled distaste sort of thing. It's just like, mm, whatever. They're just things mostly. Wow. So that sounds nice. Yeah. And he would resort to like really harsh punishments for like the smallest things, which wow. was like total douche move. Mm -hmm. So, so anyways, when the couple ended up separating for the second time, this was when uh, Dean was seven uh, and his youngest brother, Stanley moved with him and his mother to Houston. Okay. Um, they were left with a series of sitters, you know, babysitters taking over and watching him while their mom was working to try and support the family on their own. Dean's, Dean seemed to adjust to the change, doing well in school, described by his teachers as polite, well-behaved. Um, however, he ended up developing, sorry, I just like brain farted for a second. He ended up developing um, rheumatic fever, which uh, left him with like a heart condition resulting in frequent absences from school. Oh, okay. okay. Uh, so he seemed to welcome the change um, pretty well when his mother actually remarried um, to a traveling clock salesman named Jake West. Oh, fun. The name or the, the job? The job. I don't know why. You want to like, be a traveling clock apparently, salesman? Apparently. I feel like that'd be super fun. Go sell some clocks and watches? Yeah. Um, and together, they ended up having a third child. Oh, so. Okay. Right on. Eventually, the whole family would move to Vidor, Texas, where they opened a candy-making business named Pecan Price, and soon it expanded to become their livelihood. There, Dean and his brother Stanley began to work part-time making candy, and Dean was generous with samples, handing it out to local kids as he sought to win new friends. So this is a Texas case? It is. We've done a lot of Texas we have. ones in the last few, hey? You guys spawn some weird people <laughs> who do some fucked up shit. <laughs> I, I feel like out of the last four, I think three of them have been Texas. Really? I, I did this one specifically because Candyman and Halloween. That's okay, why. Yeah. Well, because Dr. Death was and then the yogurt shop murders. Oh, shit. You're right. Yeah. We're going to have to steer, cle steer clear yeah, of y'all we'll, we'll for give, a little while, We'll give maybe. Texas a little break after this. <laughs> We're coming down on your hard. Okay, so following Dean's graduation in the summer of 1958, the family moved to Houston and opened shop for their candy business. So it was rather than just like making it in like a warehouse or whatever the situation was, they actually had a storefront now. Cool. However, Dean's mother's happy new marriage began to face a little bit of difficulties in 1962. And then in 1963, the marriage fell apart and she was once again divorced. Dang. So Mary, which Dean's mom, mm -hmm. um, decided that she would open her own candy business, the Coral Candy Company, and made, and made Dean vice president, which I just want to throw this out there. This is a fucking boss move. Um, she's either like, you know, like, fuck you in this divorce thing. I'm going to take over the candy monopoly now. I'm going to do better. Uh, it's just like... I don't know, almost that a spite sort of thing, like a big old fuck you to her ex-husband, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah, I guess. It's very interesting, actually. Yeah, it's kind of like dick move, but boss moves, like you go, girl, all at the same time. Yeah, it's a combination, isn't yep, it? <laughs> it is. So the same sh- same year she opened the shop, though, one of the employees, who was a teenage boy, complained about Dean making sexual advances towards him. She ignored the accusations, however, and simply just fired the boy. Okay. Now, this might be key here. Um Maybe this shows that she turned a blind eye to her son and his odd behaviors earlier in life. Um, it's kind of like kind of two, two things here. It could be either she loved her son and was just blind to the things that he was doing, or she was in denial being like, nope, not my son, not my precious little boy. You know, he would never do that. Except mm-hmm. So it could be one of those two things, whether she just didn't see it or was in denial about it. Okay. Either way. I mean. Could be tell, telling a little bit of his his future and how he was upbringing, up, his upbringing sort of thing. I don't know. Or maybe I'm just reading too far into it. Hard to say. Anyways, a year later in 1964, despite his heart condition, Dean was drafted into the U.S. military. And he was assigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana for a 10-month training regiment. I need water. I have some. Do you <laughs> oh, want? Oh, please. It's just like a water bottle. Please do. Please do. Uh, so for a 10-month training regimen, where I can't talk. While there, he openly <laughs> discovered his homosexuality and had his first sexual relations. Oh. Wow. Okay, talk for a second. I got to take a sip. Out of your pink water bottle? Yep. Suits you. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm still in sober October, so I can't have a beer right now. I know. Wow. Look at you. You're actually doing amazing. Thank you. Like, well done. And I'm drinking less only because I just like, you don't, I don't know. I guess I don't tend to drink alone. (laughs) (laughs) Fair, fair. Okay. So 10 months into his service, Dean would be successful in an application for a quote unquote hardship discharge. After okay. explaining that he needed to leave to help his mom at the store. At the candy store? Yep. Candy shop? So he was honorably discharged. And for several more years, Dean continued to work at the candy shop and would continue to make advances towards male employees. He also continued his habit of handing out extra samples to kids as he continued his work, earning him the infamous name, The Candy Man. The Candy Man, because he liked to give extra samples. Yeah, he'd hand out candy. And he was doing, he was giving out those samples to befriend the kids, right? Mm -hmm. It started out when they were his age, but as he's getting older, he's still giving out the samples to these kids, Uh befriending these little kids. Is this some terrible foreshadowing? Oh, fuck yeah. Oh, God. Okay. So in the back of the business, Dean ended up bringing in a pool table where employees and friends could hang out. Many of the teenage boys Dean was befriending through the candy business um, didn't really have much to speak of for a place to go, as many were runaways or troubled youth. So it became a regular hangout. Dean was said to be openly and obviously flirtatious with many of the boys. And I'm assuming they were like underage boys. Yes. Okay. Um, To put it into perspective here, we're getting into one particular case. In 1967, Dean met 12-year-old David Owen Brooks through the shop and its hangout. The two quickly became close friends. But like I said, David's 12 and Dean at this time is 28. Okay. I was just going to be like, how old is... Yeah. He's almost 30. Interesting. Okay. So that's... I mean... 
if it was just kind of like a big brother, like, because, you know, there's that program and stuff and you're really yeah. kind of mentoring and just like guiding this person, but it doesn't sound like it's, well, it's that. Well, the two would spend a lot of time together doing various things like trips and such. Um, and through it all, David like admired Dean, looking up to him to the point of like considering him a substitute father. Okay. Because a lot, remember, a lot of these kids are, you know, troubled right. youth and that sort of thing. Yeah. So I'm sure he didn't really have a father figure. So to David, Dean was that father figure. Oh, okay. However, the relationship took a bit of a darker turn in 1969. Over the course of the past two years, Dean groomed David and steadily built his trust. Then oh. Dean bribed and paid David to perform oral sex oh, on him. Okay. Okay, we went there. We went there. Yeah. Uh, there are reports that this happened multiple times, always with a bribe um, as means to have David keep quiet about it. I really want to say it as – well, I didn't want to say as I was typing um, that sentence, I was like, always as a bribe as means to keep David's mouth shut. But I was like, no, that doesn't quite work for what he's bribing him for. So Ben! <laughs> I'm – it didn't work, so I changed it to keep quiet oh, about it. Oh, gosh. Sorry. It just, that's so, how I was writing it. And I'm like, no, that doesn't sound right. These poor boys are looking up to him. And he's just like totally taking advantage. Definitely. And like, so they're thinking he's this awesome dude and just wants to hang out and help them. And he's just not, it has, does not have good intentions. Yes. Although he is openly flirtatious with a lot of them. So I'm sure that a lot of them are aware of that and they're like pretty leery of them, but some of them maybe well, not Well, they just so desperately want someone like to guide them and be, have someone to look up to though. Yep. Yeah. So. Oh. Anyways, not long after the Coral Candy Company closed its doors. Um, Dean moved on to get another job. Um, he was doing testing electrical relay systems at a Houston lighting uh, and power company, which sounds like a pretty dope job. I'm sure you can get some like good money out of that. Mm -hmm. um, but in 1969, when David turned 30, he seemed to undergo a sudden shift in personality, becoming very hypersensitive uh, and glum and kind of darker and sadder kind of sort of thing. It's mm, not good. He continued to spend his time with teenage boys like David and he passed out free candy all around. Oh, so even though he doesn't have this business, he's still all about the candy. Yeah. He still passed out candy. Okay. That just seems like creepy now. Hey, well, it's kind of his thing. Candy I guess. Man, right. Yeah. Not only that, he would also host glue and paint sniffing parties at his oh. apartment for these boys. That's a thing. Oh yeah. Huff, huff the fumes, get high. Really? Yeah. Okay. Like I said, he he kind of shifted his personality a little bit darker, right? Yeah, no kidding. I liked it when he was just handing out candy. When he actually had a candy store, though. Yeah. So now he's just now huffing. Creep. He's huffing fumes, handing out candy in his apartment to kids. That's like just creeper. Oh, like the creep radar is just oh, it's, go it's just going off now. Um, <laughs> it's like at the very top now. Like it, it's it's like it can't go much further. Yeah. It probably is going to, though. All right. Well, let's let's keep going. So at the same time, he displayed a bit more of a sadistic streak, leaning towards bondage, oh. kinks in his sexual relationships with these young men and boys. Okay, yeah. On September 25th, 1970, 
Dean picked up a hitchhiker by the name of Jeffrey Conan, who was an 18-year-old student at the University of Texas. Now, do you have any idea where this is going? Um, I don't know. I think that he's... I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just going to well, keep listening. this is classic don't go hitchhiking because Dean didn't take Jeffrey to where he was looking to go. Okay, yeah. Instead, Dean abducted him and Jeffrey's body was later found on August 10th, 1973, buried on a nearby high island beach in Texas. Holy shit. Okay, I thought that maybe he would just like have raped him or something and not have actually killed him. Well, he was found under a large rock and was covered in a layer of lime, wrapped in plastic, naked, and bound hand bound hands and feet with nylon cord, suggesting that he had been violated. Mm-hmm. His body showed that he had been strangled to death by hand and a cloth gag was in his mouth. Oh, jeez. So it was certainly a rough way to go, needless to say. Yeah. I know hitchhiking, like I know some people are just they they need it or whatever, right? But gosh, mm-hmm. it just puts you in such a dangerous position. Yeah. It like is. Like the amount of times you hear about shit going wrong that way. Yeah. It's crazy. It's scary. So around the same time of this incident with Jeffrey in 1970, David walked in on Dean in the middle of raping two teenage boys. Holy shit. Who he had bound and strapped to a quote unquote torture board in his bedroom. Dean somehow managed to convince David not to say a word through years of building the trust or maybe because David was promised a car in return for his silence. Holy shit. A car is kind of a big deal. Yeah. (laughs) That's bad though. So David accepted the terms. He accepted the offer and kept his mouth shut. Dean went on to continue to sexually assault the boys and murdering them shortly after. What? Like, really? Yeah. Holy. What's with him? Okay. What's with him murdering them after? That's new level. That's, um, it's his thing. This guy's nasty. Oh, he nasty. He's a nasty mofo. So Dean bought David a green Chevrolet Corvette, just like he <laughs> promised. Oh my gosh, I don't even think I can accept that gift. Right? Like morally. So you can just see how that grooming has uh, paid off for him over the years. That trust he built up with David. The manipulation he had over him. The power he had. But then in all honesty, would he even been able to stop him from murdering those people too? I mean, he could fucking scream, run for police or something, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll buy you a car. Just leave the room and don't say anything. Okay. He probably would have got murdered himself, too, though. Well, if he just said, okay, yeah, sure, and then walked out of the room and then fucking ran for police. They might have still got murdered. They might have still got murdered, but... Yeah. But that note would have stopped there. It would have stopped there or could have stopped there. Yeah. And uh, as you're about to find out, this goes a lot farther. It doesn't stop. It yeah. And this guy is driving around in his little... Little green Corvette. <laughs> wow. So how it did continue, um, Dean offered something to David. Uh, something else? He said he would give him $200 for any boy he could bring to <gasps> Dean's apartment. 
No. Yeah. Lure these boys to my apartment and I will give you 200 bucks, which is approximately uh, $1,400 in today's economy. Like a week? You mean? Sorry, was it 200 bucks a week? 200 bucks a boy. A boy. Okay, gross. That's like really, 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 really gross. Yeah. We're getting into uh, literal trafficking is what, what this is. Holy, for some reason, I, di- I just didn't go there at all. Yeah. But it makes sense. Uh, so as for those two boys that uh, David walked in on Dean raping and then killing, um, I could not find those two boys' names. Uh, so I do not have their identity. I don't know who they are. I cannot kind of tell their story. Yeah, so. that's really sad. On December 13th, 1970, David lured two boys, both 14 years old, from Spring Branch named James Glass and Danny Yates, who were attending a religious rally held in Houston Heights, to Dean's Yorktown apartment. James was actually an acquaintance of David and had actually previously visited Dean's place. Once they arrived at the apartment, both James and Danny were then tied to opposite sides of Dean's torture board, were raped, strangled, and killed, only to be buried in a boat shed that Dean had rented. An electrical cord with alligator clips attached to each end was buried alongside Danny's body. And by alligator clips, um, that is referring to, you know, how you jump a car. Mm-hmm. Those clips at the end of those cables. Cool. I'm like regretting the Halloween candy I like <laughs> scarfed before this episode. It's, it's really, yeah. You good? <clears throat> yeah, I'm great. <laughs> you sure? Yeah. All right. Well, buckle up because it's, uh, it's a bumpy ride. Yeah, this is disgusting. It's, it's fucking gross. Like, the re- researching this, I was like, holy fuck. And I had no idea what this case was prior to. I've heard of this guy. I, I've heard that he lured boys and killed people. That was about it. Oh. Now I know to the extent. And holy fuck. This well, guy yeah, is sick. Already, I feel like he's it's gone on for such a long period of time that it's just like oh, too much. Oh, it's only been going on for like two years so far. That's too much. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just saying, comparatively... Um, and well, actually, and comparatively, it doesn't actually go on that long. Just a lot happens in the time it goes on. Okay. So on January 30th, 1971, six weeks after the double murder of James and Danny. Only six weeks. Only six weeks. David and Dean encountered two teenage brothers, Donald and Jerry Waldrop. They're walking towards their parents' house. The brothers had been driven to a friend's home by their father with plans on discussing forming a bowling league, which fucking awesome. Yeah, that's I want to join Like, no kidding. Like, (gasps) I want to be these guys' friends and be on their fucking bowling team. Oh, my goodness. I used to be in a bowling league. I was super cool. Yeah, sure you were. (laughs) So what? It's cool for them, but not me? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, anyways, they had actually begun walking home once they realized that their friend wasn't home. Okay. So their dad dropped them off their friend's place. They realized their friend wasn't home, but their dad had already left. So now they're walking home. Oh, dang. Yeah. Both boys were lured into Dean's van and driven to his apartment where they were, as you guessed, raped, tortured, strangled, and subsequently 
buried in the boat shed. Jeez. Oh, those, like, just, I'm just, like, can't stop thinking about the parents in all the situation. Yeah. Because it's really, like, they're just gone missing. Yep. Right? To the parents? I don't know if later it's found or whatever, but it's, that's, well, obviously, but that's sad. Mm Mm-hmm. And imagine, like, being a parent at this time with kids that currently aren't missing, but seeing all these kids going missing. Oh, yeah. You just lock them in the house. Like, you're not allowed to leave. (laughs) Stay in the basement. Yeah. Like, don't leave the house for anything. Right. So between March and May of 1971, Dean abducted and killed three more young boys, all of whom lived in Houston Heights, Texas, and were all buried towards the rear end of the rented boat shed. In each of these abductions, David is known to have been a participant. So he, it's not like he's just, you know, like idly standing by and just being a witness. It's like, no, he's, mm-hmm. he's involved now. Oh, like in the assaults or just mostly still gathering the, the boys? I can't, I couldn't find anything on him being involved in rape. Okay. But he is definitely involved in assaults and murders. Oh, and he's like raking in the dough. Yep. Huh. So 15-year-old Randall Harvey was last seen by his family on March 9th, cycling towards Oak Forest, where he worked part-time as a gas station attendant. Uh, Randall was abducted and taken to Dean's most recent Magnum Road apartment, where he went through the same tortures as the previous victim. However, this time he was killed by a single gunshot to the head. Holy shit. The other two victims were 13-year-old David Hillegeist, Hillegeist, I think it's Hillegeist, um, and 16-year-old Gregory Winkle. They were abducted and killed together on the afternoon of May 29th, 1971. Good Lord, they're so young. Yep, they're They're so young. young. Mm -hmm. (sighs) How are you holding up? I don't know. I'm fine. I'm just very fidgety. <laughs> I can't keep still. That was me in the Dr. Death episode, though, because, like, you're just rattling off all this stuff, and I'm just, whole, like, it's overwhelming. Yeah. This so, is a lot of victims. It is. And it's kind of nice that I get to turn the tables on you and present it to you now, because I get to see you fidget. So now I'm agitated. Thank you. That's just our goal, to make <laughs> yeah. the other person agitated. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> um. So as it had been the case with the other boys, and, like, we kind of already touched on, um, the boy's parents frantically were searching for their sons. Well, yeah. Uh, 15-year-old Elmer Wayne Henley, a lifelong friend of the Hillegeists, which was David Hillegeist. You know, he was 13, just fucking killed by Dean. Yeah. Um, so Elmer was volunteering and helped spread m- missing posters and reward posters, you know, in the area to keep keep his, uh, his friend trying to be found. Mm-hmm. And he kept reassuring, you know, his his friend's parents that they're maybe just an incident that it can be explained and it's Aww. they'll be back soon or something like that right oh well that doesn't tear open your heart holy yeah. dean however didn't slow down in the face of any missing posters or distraught parents doesn't give a shit hey eh? not a single fuck was given by what this an asshole fucking i can't even think of a word to describe this guy Like, he's filth. Oh, the words that I want to say, I just probably shouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) 
Once the mics are off. Don't want to get us in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Um, On August 17th, 1971, Dean and David ran across a 17-year-old acquaintance of David's named Reuben Watson Haney. Haney, I think it's how it is. H-A-N-E-Y. He was walking home from a movie theater in Houston. David convinced Reuben to join them for a party that was taking place at Dean's address. Mm-hmm. It was somewhere that he had just moved to on San Felipe. Felipe? Felipe? I can't say the word. I know I'm pronouncing it wrong. I can hear it in my head, but I can't say it right. F E L I P E Street. Oh, goodness. Okay. <laughs> I lo- okay. That is just, just so wicked and grim when we just pronounce it instead. I know. <laughs> or just spell it out instead. Or of sorry, it. spell yeah. it out, not en- instead. Uh, oh, my goodness. We can't say words. They tough <laughs> and hard. That's what she said. Ha <laughs> ha. Anyways. <laughs> okay. Ruben didn't have any suspicion. Um, he knew David, right? Well, yeah. Uh, so he thought, yeah, sure. The party might be fun. So he agreed. And he was taken to Dean's home where he was... As you guessed it. Oh, goodness. Killed by strangulation and buried in the boat shed. So just stay home, folks. Like, don't go to parties or do anything fun. <laughs> just stay home, really. Don't accept candy from strangers. Uh, don't just stay home. <laughs> I, I do want to point out, he does drive a van, too. Yeah, which is so interesting. But then back then, maybe that it didn't have that stereotype, you know? Well, maybe this, this is how Yeah, we I was just going to say this is how it – this is probably how it does. Well, no, I don't think it's this one. I think there's many cases of vans, tinted windows, lots of space. You can lure people in easy. Well, yeah, but then you – know? and free candy. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Lure little kids in. I mean, that's, that's the go-to, right? That's disgusting. It is. It's fucking gross. It's disgusting. Those people can fuck off. Fuck off. Anyways, okay. In September of 1971 – Dean moved to another apartment in Houston Heights. He moves apartments quite frequently. Clearly. Um, I wonder if he's getting kicked out or something. Eh? I don't think so. I couldn't find anything of him being kicked out. He just keeps oh, okay. moving. Okay. Uh, now, a later confession tells of two more youths who were killed here at this apartment, one of which was kept alive for somewhere around four days before oh, being murdered. brutal. And the identity of these boys to this day remains unknown. Okay. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the winter of 1971, David introduced Elmer Wayne Henley to Dean. Do you know who that is? Is that the friend? Elmer Wayne Henley was the little boy distributing those missing posters. And David introduced him to, to Dean? Yes. Is that what you said? Oh my gosh, yes. run. Elmer was likely lured to Dean Dang. as an intended victim. For sake. However, for whatever reason... Dean spared him and decided he would make a good accomplice and offered him the same $200 for any boy he could lure to his apartment. Okay, not knowing that Elmer was like part of a search for one of the boys? Yep. Okay, is this how this should end then? 
Oh no. I'm hoping is this Al- is how this shit starts. <laughs> We're I'm thinking that Elmer's going to be a good boy. Well, he told Elmer he was involved in, quote unquote, a white slavery ring operating from Dallas, which I don't know why, like, a white slavery ring would be any better than what he's actually fucking doing. But anyways. Yeah. So Elmer declined and ignored the offer for several months, in fact. But in 1972, he changed his mind. And accepted because he and his family were in dire financial need. The first abduction he participated in occurred during the time Dean resided at 925 Schruler Street, an address he moved to in February of 1972. Elmer and Dean picked up, quote unquote, a boy at the corner of 11th and Studewood and lured him into Dean's home on the promise of smoking some marijuana. You know, that, that weed, the good Mm -hmm. stuff at the apartment and they would, you know, just chill out. So while they were there, they were playing with some handcuffs and convinced the young boy to try (sighs) them on. Oh no. Once he did, Elmer saw Dean bind and gag the boy. Then he left him alone with Dean, believing he was being sold to a sexual slavery ring. The identity of this boy remains unknown. Okay. I'm actually really confused. Because is this not like triggering Elmer to be like thinking that this could be what happened to his friend? Maybe. And or he just doesn't give a shit, or or Maybe. he's just in isn't it isn't he isn't realizing? I don't know. I don't know. I still feel like he's a good kid, but I don't think he is anymore. He might have been a good kid at one point, but he uh, he certainly isn't anymore. They turned him. And he needed money. Yeah. One month later, on March 24th, 1972, Elmer, David, and Dean saw an 18-year-old friend of Elmer's named oh. Frank Aguirre. Aguirre? A-G-U-I-R-R-E. Oh, my gosh, Ben. No. <laughs> sorry. No, we can't. Aguirre, I think. Aguirre. Aguirre? Aguirre? Aguirre. Aguirre. Oh, there you go. That Aguirre. sounds like the go. best option. <laughs> that sounds like the best option. Holy shit. <laughs> Poor Frank. Fuck, I can't even say your name. Yeah, I'm sorry, I, I, Frank. Yeah, we're actually that. Yeah, we're sorry. Oh, okay. So anyways, Frank was Just leaving Frank. a restaurant on Yale Street where he worked. He was invited over to Dean's apartment to do some more Marijuana. smoking of that devil's lettuce. Run, uh, Frank, And please. drinking some beers. So with the trio, he went along. No. While there, they were actually hanging out for a bit. You know, it was, this was a legit... Chill oh, they session. Like Frank? Um, and then Frank picked up a pair of handcuffs that Dean had left on the table. And immediately Dean pounced on Frank, slammed him into the table, Shit. and cuffed his hands behind his back. Okay, I just have to say sorry. I especially hate when it's like a friend. Yep. Right? Because this is he was just like, Oh, I'm just gonna hang out, and he like trusts this person because they're friends, and then like boom. Yeah. Like that just seems ten times worse to me. I know. Very backstabby bullshit, mother. Anyways, Elmer did actually attempt to persuade Dean not to assault his friend, but Dean refused and revealed to Elmer that he had raped, tortured, and killed the previous victim that he had assisted in abducting and that he intended to do the same with Frank. Then after Dean was done, Elmer, Dean, and David all helped in burying Frank's uh, body at High Island Beach. 
Here I was like, it's going to turn. It's going to turn. Elmer's a good boy. Nope. But no, he sucks and I don't like him at all. That's the official mark of Elmer now being a part of this. What a friggin' asshole. After that, he was just an active participant in the abductions, <sighs> the murders. I'm sorry, but how can they recruit people to this? This is I disgusting. Well, it was only one month after Frank's death. On April 20th, the three men abducted the next one. Nice. A 17-year-old by the name of Mark Scott. He was grabbed by force, and he actually fought furiously against the attempts oh, to restrain good. him. Elmer, however, pointed a pistol towards him. And at the sight of a gun being pointed at him, he gave up. Well, yeah. So Mark was tied, tortured, and suffered the same fate as Frank. But they say even if a gun's pointed at you or something, like, still just, like, friggin' do everything you can and run and shit, right? Because their yeah. aim could be shit. Their aim could be shit. They might not have it in them. They might not even have any have bullets it. It could the just gun. be, like, for show. Yeah. So still keep fighting. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know for sure. I shouldn't. Don't take her advice well, for sure. Look it up, maybe. Because we're no experts on we're that. We're no experts. But I just feel like what was coming to him was pretty shitty, too. Yes. Like, really. So moving on to June 26, two boys named Billy Balsh and Johnny Delmo. Delome. Delome. There we go. I'm getting better with the name thing, I think. There you go. There's a lot of names in here for you. There so that's is really a shitty. lot of individuals we are talking about here. We're trying to get all the stories told we can. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were abducted and tied to Dean's bed and his fucking torture board thing. Um, after their torture and rape, Elmer manually strangled Billy and then shouted, hey, Johnny, and then shot him in the forehead. Oh, wow. Johnny then pleaded with him, please don't, before he was then strangled to death. Both boys were buried at High Island Beach. What exactly is this torture board? Do we know anything about this? It's some sort of board that where he like straps them down. And he just kind of has his way and beats them. And yeah. Okay. I wish I didn't ask actually. <laughs> <laughs> there was another boy named Billy Riggingner. Ringinger. Ringinger. Riddinger. Riddinger. There we go. Names are hard. <laughs> I try. I pronounce all these like, well, I was actually researching and then yeah. come to it. It's just oh, a gosh. whole different ball game. I constantly do like pronounce dot com or whatever and then i'm like okay i got this and then yeah no. and I then don't. as soon as the mics are hot and we're reading not even close yeah, yeah. so billy riddinger 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 <laughs> see okay billy riddinger who was 19 and was brought to dean he was tied to that torture board tortured abused Dang. but was set free oh really he was Okay. I couldn't find anything in what happened to him after that. So he lived then, we think. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Another incident. Elmer actually knocked David unconscious and quote unquote assaulted him. I don't know the definition of assaulted in this scenario. Okay. If there was rape involved or what, but he knocked him unconscious, quote unquote assaulted him. And then afterwards, they, after he woke up, it was just like nothing ever happened. They just kept doing their thing. Okay. 
In the summer of 1972, there were two more victims. The first was 17-year-old Stephen Sickman, who was last seen leaving a party held in the Heights shortly before midnight on July 19th. He was savagely, savagely, there we go, bludgeoned in the chest with a blunt object before he was strangled and buried in the boat shed. Approximately one month later, on a boat, October, sorry, August 21st, a 19-year-old named Roy Button was abducted while walking to his job in a Houston shoe store. Damn. Roy was gagged with a towel and his mouth was bound with tape. He was shot twice in the head and buried in the boat shed. Cute. Not all the bodies were buried in the boat shed, though, hey? No. But a lot of them. A lot of them. Um, there, The High Island Beach and the boat shed were the two main places that the bodies were disposed of, okay. I guess is the best way to put it. On October 2nd, 1972, two teenagers named Willie J. Sycamo and Richard Hembry were walking home and lured to Dean's. That evening, Jay phoned his mom and shouted the word mama into the receiver before it was disconnected. The following morning, both boys were strangled to death and subsequently buried in the common grave inside the boat shed. Oh my goodness. That's like literally the last thing that he said to his mom. Yeah. Oh, my heart. I know. Like it, that really hurts. Oh. I can't imagine that mom hearing that oh for the rest of her life. Oh, my gosh. No, this this is just, it's too much. You okay? You need a minute? You need I don't some more know. Halloween I'm, candy? I know. I No, I don't actually need more <laughs> Halloween candy. I need something. <laughs> I need to know when this shit ends. We got some more to go here. Are you fucking me? Altogether, at least 10 teenagers between the age of 13 and 19 were murdered between February and November in 1972. Holy crap. Five of whom were buried at Highland Beach and five inside the boat shed. Among them were 18-year-old Williard Branch, who went missing while hitchhiking from Mount Pleasant, and 19-year-old Richard Kepner, who disappeared on his way to a phone booth. Dang. On January 20th, 1973, Dean moved to an address on Wirt Road in Spring Branch, District of Houston. Within two weeks of moving to his new address, he had killed 17-year-old Joseph Lyles. And then shortly after, in March, moved to 2020 Lamar Drive. Just constantly moving. And also, I need to know more about this boat shed, but keep going. <laughs> The boat shed, it was a rented boat shed, basically, and that's, that's that. There but, was like, some, it like, can't be that big, and, like, they're burying a shit ton of bodies there. Uh, he is burying them on top of each other and stuff, too. Huh. So. Interesting. So we are at his final residence, though. Just, just to throw that out there. So we are winding down. A 2020 Lamar Drive is, like, the, the infamous address for this case. Sweet. While at this residence, his killings began to increase in frequency and brutality starting in June. He began to develop a lust for killing even more, and he grew anxious, pacing and smoking constantly when he wasn't active. That's all that was on his mind. That's all he wanted to do, basically. Yep. June 4th, 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence. He was last seen alive by his father on 31st Street. After three days of abuse and torture, William 
was strangled before being buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Less than two weeks later, 20-year-old Raymond... Oh, hold on. Oh, sorry. Yeah, that's right. The, the names threw me off for a minute because they're fairly close. Mm. Uh, Raymond Stanley Blackburn was abducted, strangled, and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. So he, And he doesn't keep the... So he only keeps some of them alive, hey, for extended periods of time. Not all of them, it yeah, seems, hey? Yeah, I'm assuming it has something to do with his sexual desires. That's oh. my assumption, but I don't know. Jeez. I should just keep quiet because every time I say anything, it like just makes me regret it. Well, I, I'm just trying to be honest. I know. I, I, I don't know. know. It makes sense. But I'm pretty sure that's that's what makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. um, unless or, he's enjoying the torture part more. But it's either between not wanting to kill yet because he doesn't want to clean up the mess right now. He's enjoying the torture or he's enjoying the rape. Mm -hmm. Those are the only three options I could see. And I think the rape would most likely be the answer. Yeah. So. Now, where's my spot? I Sorry, lost it. I distracted you. Okay. With all my questions. It's all good. It's all good. We got this. July 7th, 1973, 15-year-old Homer Luis Garcia phoned his mother to say he was spending the night with a friend. He was shot and bled to death in Dean's bathtub before he was buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. Wow. Five days later. Holy shit. On July 12th, 17-year-old John Sellers of Orange County was bound, shot to death, and buried at High Island Beach. Like, the police must just be going wild. This is a ton of people. Yep. At the end, do you kind of, like, say how many? Yes. Holy, because I've lost so much count. Like, I've lost count. Yeah, it's, it's Disgusting. ridiculous. Disgusting. It's unbelievable. Between July 19th and 25th, 15-year-old Michael Balch, brother of previous victim Billy <gasps> Balch, was last seen by his family on July 19th on his way to get a haircut. You're kidding me. He was strangled and buried at Lake Sam Rayburn. The other two, Charles Cobble and Marty Ray Jones, were abducted together on the afternoon of July 25th and were buried in the boat shed. Okay, that brought that being a brother of someone that had previously been abducted really making has made me mad. <laughs> like all these had made me mad, but that's I know that's it's just double for that family. Yeah. I mean, some of them, it was the same time, but to have it, like, happen, and then you're, like, probably really were protecting your kid, but, like, it, the kid needed a haircut, you got to kind of, like, and then it happens again? Oh, my gosh. Yep. That just makes your head hurt. And your heart. Mm -hmm. Basically everything. This whole fucking episode is just so heavy on the heart. It, like, it's it hurts. It's brutal. It's I, brutal. I can't wait to have this one off my fucking chest, and I don't have to research or talk about it anymore. So you're just going to forget all forget like I'm going to try. I want to try to forget it. Mm -hmm. um, though I hope that these victims aren't forgotten. I That's know the, only the thing. poor victims. So on August 3rd, 1973, a 13 year old quote unquote small blonde boy from South Houston named James Stanton Dremala. He had a pizza bought for him by David. And he spent approximately 45 minutes talking and sharing it with them before he was 
attacked and abducted and taken to Dean's home. My God, the shit they do. James was tied to Dean's torture board, raped, tortured, and strangled with a cord before being buried in the boat shed. James would be Dean's last victim. Okay, I thought maybe that he would have gotten away then, but no. Who would have gotten away? That this last boy got away or something, oh, and that's how he no. ended up getting caught was sort of my my thought. Um, well, we're winding down to that. Okay. Okay. August 7th, 1973. Elmer ended up bringing a girlfriend of his and another friend, Tim Curley, to Dean's house. The three of them and Dean stayed up, drank, huffed paint and fumes and shit. <laughs> God. Um... Till about midnight, they drove out, got some sandwiches, came back, and ended up being till about 3 a.m. before they all finally ended up passing out, falling asleep. Okay. Until Elmer woke up with his feet bound, <gasps> and Dean was handcuffing him to his torture board. Really? His girlfriend and Tim were also bound, had their feet, hands tied, and tape over their mouth. Holy shit. Dean was furious that elmer brought a woman to his place stating quote unquote man you blew it bringing that girl before shouting quote unquote i'm gonna kill you all but first i'm gonna have my fun oh whoa yeah are you good where do you think this is going i have no idea i'm like on the edge of my seat here Elmer knew what was about to follow as he's literally witnessed this scenario so many times before, being involved in it so many times before. Uh, so he began to try to talk Dean down, try and talk him out of it. But he did it in a bit of a different way. He promised to participate in the torture and the murder of both his friend and his girlfriend if Dean just released him. After approximately 30 minutes of a discussion, Dean finally agreed and untied him. Then they both carried his friend and girlfriend into the bedroom, tied them on opposite sides of the torture board. Hold on, I think I got the name wrong on this one. I think I might have got the names mixed up. Which one's who is again? Who again? Who's the girlfriend? Who's the, the friend? Because we don't know the girlfriend's name. Uh, I just name. remember like Curly. <laughs> curly something? Something Curly? Was that one of the names? Yep, yeah, Curly. Okay, so Curly's a friend. We don't know the girlfriend's name. Okay. Um, so Curly was on his stomach. Um, and the girlfriend, which I think her last name was Williams. It's, I think, all I know. Um, she was on her back. Oh, please, dear God, make Elmer not do anything. Then, I want him to turn on Dean. Then Elmer followed Dean's instructions. Including attempting to rape his girlfriend. So he was handed a hunting knife, cut off her clothes... And began to rape wow. his girlfriend. Okay. Meanwhile, Dean was trying to rape Curly. Wow. But in the midst of it, Elmer managed to grab Dean's gun and pointed at him and shouted, You've gone far enough, Dean. Dean abandoned the rape and began to approach Elmer, saying, Kill me, as he kept coming forward. You won't do it. Wow. But that's what Elmer did. He really? shot Dean six times. Holy shit. The first time in the forehead, 
but it's a 22 caliber bullet, which is a small caliber. Right. Didn't penetrate the skull the first shot. So he kept stumbling forward and Elmer kept shooting kept until shooting he was dead. Him. Okay. And I also, the one other thing that's on my mind is like, I can't believe that he even was able to get all three of them like tied up kind of. Like when that just like blows my mind. Drunk and high. Oh, they're okay, passed I out. Yes. Oh, okay. He was just biding his time. Shit. Okay. He probably wasn't huffing or wasn't drinking. He was just waiting. Oh God, this guy is just disgusting. Okay, so Elmer has shot him to death. Yep. And at eight twenty-four a.m. on August eighth, nineteen seventy-three, Elmer placed a call to nine one one, and was answered by the operator named Velma Lines. And in that call. Elmer said, quote unquote, y'all better get here right now. I just killed a man. Wow. Elmer spilled it all. So he, he had to get this all off his chest, eh? yeah. which is actually surprising that he didn't try to like protect well, himself. You damn near got a quote from him already. When he was read his Miranda rights, he just simply said, quote unquote, I don't care who knows about it. I have to get it off my chest. Wow. That's actually good. Mm -hmm. so good because i because he could have honestly hit it all he could have he told police everything and even helped locate the bodies wow mm -hmm. how could he remember all the names and stuff i don't know if he would have remembered the names i'm sure it's identifying from missing persons reports right. to the bodies right because okay. i'm sure he doesn't even know half these people who they were or even their names nothing yeah he just knows yeah this guy this was this guy that we got here and right and then okay. it could help link to the missing persons report because he's like yeah i'm pretty sure we got this one over at the pizza place or something like that mm -hmm. right so on july of 1974 the jury deliberated for 92 minutes before finding elmer guilty of six accounts of murder for each account he is ordered to serve a 99 year sentence consecutively totaling 594 oh. years in prison good he was transferred to the Huntsville unit to formally begin his sentence. And sorry, when was that? What year was that? 1974. Oh, okay. He's, he's got a few hundred left to go. Yeah. David okay, gave a full confession David too. on the evening of August 9th, admitting to being present at several killings and assisting in several burials, but he denied any direct participation in any murders. David, Liar. Yep. David's trial lasted less than one week. <clears throat> the jury deliberated for around 90 minutes before they reached the verdict. He was found guilty on March 4th, 1974, and was sentenced to life in prison. Okay. Good. Uh, now, both men actually did... What's it called again when you try to get out of jail? Your... Um, Oh, appeals and Appeal. Stuff? There we okay. go. The word got I left me for a minute there. Both men did appeal and both didn't go through. Um, David, however, David Owen Brooks died on May 28th, 2020, while still serving his sentence in prison. He had other health issues, but in the end, he succumbed to COVID-19. Really? Hey? Okay. Well, it's actually amazing that nothing bad happened to any of them prior to because they were in jail for something pretty horrific and lots of times yeah like if it if you're in jail for something that involves children you don't have the best of times in there yeah usually uh you get beat to death mm -hmm. so so it's actually amazing that 
he died of that and not something yeah. prior to. In total, the Candyman had a minimum, it's unknown his total count, but he had a minimum of 27 victims. Oh gosh, I feel like there's way more than that. That seems low. There were some reports I saw that said 28, minimum 28, but the most common one that I found was 27, so I'm going to go with that. I mean, still a ton, but I, I was honestly expecting that number to be higher. Yeah, so that is the story of the Candyman. Wow, I hate the Candyman. Fuck that guy. That is just disgusting. Yeah. Okay, so he's dead, David's dead, and Elmer's still just in jail. Yes, for the next Forever. 550 years. Yeah. <laughs> huh, interesting. I mean, I do, I'm glad that Elmer and David came for, forward and confessed and like helped with finding these kids and stuff but still Mm -hmm. like still pieces of shit i do want to say though um in the end though with elmer raping his girlfriend uh he did that specifically Mm -hmm. to gain advantage over over dean um when the police showed up all three his friend his girlfriend and himself were all sitting on the porch uh the gun was sitting down on the ground for the police to collect when they walked up and everything um and elmer actually told his girlfriend he said you know if i if I did go ahead with it, I could have got 200 bucks for you. If I what? Say that again? If I did go ahead with it, I could have got 200 bucks for you. Okay. <laughs> That's fucked up, eh? Yeah. But clearly he didn't go ahead with it, but he did go ahead with a lot of other fucked up shit. So. Jeez, the money. And like, how was this guy making money? To pay for that kind of thing. Maybe he was involved in some sort of trafficking ring. I don't know. Maybe some of the people that he was abducting, he was sending off to a trafficking ring, getting money for it, and he was only taking some for himself. Yeah, so maybe that wasn't even like a full-out lie, really. Very likely. Hmm. Brutal. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, next week we got Halloween week coming up. Yes. Maybe now I'm just like, maybe we should do a case that's like fun. Well, we're (laughs) not heavy. We're starting with Robert the Doll. (laughs) Okay. Though there will be some that aren't like to this heavy level for sure. And if you don't know Robert the Doll, Robert the Doll was the literal inspiration for Chucky behind Child's Play. Wow. And at this moment, he is considered the world's most haunted doll. Hmm. I can't wait to hear. Yeah. I can't wait to hear more about it. All right. Well, until. Halloween week next time. Make sure you guys follow us on our socials. Instagram, Facebook. And Patreon. Patreon. Check us out. Yeah. Wicked and Grim. Easy to find. Wicked and Grim. And until then, friends. Stay wicked. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.